Welcome to episode 18 of season 2 of the Search for the Candor podcast. My name is Jack Chambers and I am your host for this week. And this week I am joined by Alex Wright, the Performance Marketing Director at Clicky Media. Some of you may know Alex already from his recent Brighton SEO talks and we'll actually be discussing a couple of the topics he touched on in those talks, including headless CMSs as well as a healthy sprinkling of ancient philosophy. Search for Candor is supported by Systrix, the SEO's toolbox. You can go to systrix.com SWC if you want to check out some of their fantastic free tools, such as their Instagram hashtag generator, Google update tracker, page speed comparison, and tracking of your site's visibility index. That's systrix.com SWC for free SEO tools, and systrix.com trends if you want to sign up for the monthly Trendwatch newsletter. So welcome to the show, Alex Wright. Hi, Alex. Hi, Jack. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. So as the listeners have just heard from the intro, you're the Performance Marketing Director at Clicky Media. First of all, what does that mean? What is your role at Clicky Media? And tell us a little bit more about Clicky in general as well. Yeah, so um, my role, I guess, performance marketing usually means a lot more to do with paid media side and, and that sort of stuff. But my role is actually basically uh, involves anything to do with acquiring traffic or driving demand. So um, I tend to head up our SEO, content, PR, uh, paid social, paid search. Um, so all that kind of sits underneath my remit. So um, yeah, quite quite a broad scope um, to be dealing with. I mean, my background's in SEO. So I started out in SEO and I kind of broadened out from there. Um, so broadened out to paid, paid search and SEO. So just search marketing as a whole and then got a whole lot bigger um, over, over the last couple of years. So uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the role, the remit of that. Um, the I guess Clicky is as an agency, so we are um, a, a digital agency that specialise in scaling D to C brands through mostly search and CRO. So our agency is, is split into kind of two areas um, from that perspective. So we've got, like I said, the acquisition side of things. Where we look at traffic and driving demand, but then we've got a another side of the business which focuses purely on strategy, uh, CRO, web development, and creative. So we tend to keep the department, those two departments, working together. Um, so most clients that work with us will will have sort of services from from either side to to drive performance, basically. Cool. So you said your background's in SEO. How long have you been in SEO for, if you don't mind me asking? Don't, I don't mean to like put an age on it or anything <laughs> like that. You can say you're 21 with 10 years experience. That's allowed. That's fine. Yeah. So it's about eight years now. So the majority of it at this point, I think, has been spent agency side as well. So started off client side. It was a bit more content um, led kind of SEO to start off with. And then, and then just sort of broadened out into, into technical and, and yeah, the, I've, I've gone agency side for the last four and a half, five years now. So just tipped over that halfway point of the eight years of, of being an SEO. <laughs> You're now well and truly embedded in the agency side of things. I am. Yeah. I, I, I'm struggling <laughs> to remember what it was like being in house. I just, I can't remember life before agency. It seems to have just swept everything up. <laughs> I'm, I'm about the same. I'm about halfway. So I was two and a half years in house and two and a half years now agency side. Mm. So. Yeah, it def- I definitely feel 
more like an agency SEO person than a, than an in-house SEO person now, especially if I went back to it and, you know, I'd be, you know, two years out of date with being an SEO, being in, uh, in-house stuff as well. <laughs> you, you tend to forget, don't you? Like all, all the different things that, that you kind of, kind of think of when, when you're, when you're client side to, to agency side, like I, I always refer to people as, as clients or businesses as clients and things like that. And it's just those little things that you get used to doing <laughs> in agency world. Definitely. Definitely. So we're here to talk about a couple of different things, actually. We've got a couple of topics to cover on this episode. But let's kick off with something we haven't really touched on on the show before, and I think it's something a lot of the listeners might know a little bit about, but maybe not have dived into in too much detail. Some le- some of you listeners might be experienced in this, but uh, I know I'm not. I've I've played around with it a little bit. I've I've dipped my toes into the water a couple of times. But let's talk about headless CMSs, shall we? Dive into that topic, which you actually covered in a re- recent Brighton SEO talk, right, Alex? Yeah, yeah. So um, last June, July at Brighton SEO, I, I covered um, an intro into into headless CMSs and and what that kind of means for for SEO. Um, yeah, it's it's a like you said, it's a really niche topic. Some people have, have had experience in it, other people haven't. I, I feel like it's still quite dev focused at the moment. There's there's still not a lot of the SEO community that have had the chance to work with um, headless CMSs, so they they've not seen the need to to have to to, to think about them really. Yeah, definitely. I know I I played around with headless CMSs because the agency I previously worked out one of their primary CMSs that they rolled out to clients from a developer perspective was uh, a CMS called Cockpit, which is headless. And so I had suddenly had experience going from you know working in WordPress and Shopify and all the usual stuff previously yeah. to suddenly being like, here's this headless CMS. And three years ago, I was like, what's a headless CMS? What are you talking about? So, <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you listeners who don't know, why don't you give us a little intro, Alex? What is a headless CMS? Yeah, so um, to, to understand what headless CMS is, I always find it's really uh, helpful to talk about what the opposite of headless CMS is first. So um, the, the typical kind of CMS we're all used to using, um, so things like WordPress or Magento, Shopify, sort of out of the box, they're usually not headless. Some some would call them monolithic. Um, that's that's kind of the term that I see thrown around in, in the community a lot. Uh, but essentially, a monolithic CMS is where a CMS and the front end and the back end of a website are intrinsically linked. So the database, um, the CMS that you that you input data into, so like I said, WordPress or Shopify or Magento or something like that, and then the front end actually builds the website, that's all linked together, that's all packaged up, it's it's inseparable. So everything, there's quite a lot of um, resources being used between the three, everything relies on each other, and you can't, you can't have the front end without the back end or the back end without the front end. When we come to headless, headless is, uh, is it's a lot different. So the back end and the front end of a website in headless are completely separate. Um, so the database and CMS are separate to the front end. So what would what would usually happen is users would use a CMS as they would normally. So um, I, I'll go into a little bit about that um, in a sec, but you would input content or you create pages in, in your CMS. Um, so typically what would happen um, with a monolithic CMS is that the, the CMS would just just build those pages and, and serve that to the front end um, as part of the, the overall package. What actually happens in headless is when you create pages or content in your CMS, it packages everything up into an API call. And then the API call then sends out that data to a front-end framework and they're completely separate. So you can use a variety of different front-end frameworks and what the, what the front-end frameworks do. So it's things like React, um, Angular, Next, Nuxt, View, there's there's quite a few at this point. They translate that API call or the data that's contained in that API that's come from your CMS 
into HTML and they build that out as a, a as an endpoint. Um, so typically a, a website, but it could be a mobile app. I've seen examples on like smart watches and, and other devices. Um, so yeah, it gives you the ability to be very, very flexible with that. It's interesting because I think the term headless is almost, it gives the wrong connotation. It's almost like, it almost should be like Hydra CMS or something like multi-headed CMS. Yeah. Because when I was thinking about it, like I said, when I was kind of introduced to it a few years ago, I was thinking like, well, what do you do without a head? And that's not what you should be looking at. It's it's actually more flexible, more adaptable. And I know coming from my background in podcasting, you can turn your content into podcasts or audio form or video form, all this different stuff. It gives that flexibility to then produce you know, one type of content and then is going out in various forms, like you said, straight to an app, straight to your smartwatch, all that kind of stuff without having to worry about changing different developments and going through this different process. You can kind of then work through that front end to adapt to that specific thing. Have you found that from your experience, like talking to clients and stuff, that's the kind of the big sales point front of phrase, the unique selling point of a headless CMS? Yeah, definitely. So that, I mean, there's loads of benefits to them, but one of the, the big things for clients is like you said, you can you can change the the front end completely to whatever you want it to be. It tends to be really popular with developers because a lot of developers you'll find will have their own um, complaints about certain platforms. So like, really, <laughs> developers? No, surely not. Yeah, so so they they might not like certain things about a platform, but with with a headless CMS, they can create a front end that suits them. Um, so they can create a specific front end for a, a website. They or for for a desktop device, they can create a completely separate one for a mobile device a completely separate one again for a different device. So there's loads of flexibility there. And then when you start to think about companies who maybe want to develop apps in the future or who have an existing app, you can create a different inter- a different interface for your app and your website, but still have it controlled from the same place. And it makes it just so much easier to scale. Um, it's not not for everyone. So you tend to find that a lot of like larger organizations or ones that really, really want to go cross device are the ones that will go headless. Um, whereas, you know, if you're just like a small SME or you've got a more local site, having a headless site is probably a bit over the top. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, you you shouldn't do it because I love headless sites. (laughs) I always recommend them (laughs) to people, but it does seem a little bit, um, overcomplicated for for some sites as well. Yeah. Especially if you're working on a small budget, you don't necessarily have like, like you said, because it's kind of developer driven in so many ways if you don't have an in-house team or you know working with an agency from a development perspective is going to be too expensive for you maybe start off on shopify wordpress one of the more traditional cmss and you know once you're a multinational billion dollar company then (laughs) then start branching out to headless stuff as well but what what are the other some of the other benefits from from an seo perspective what can you expect from a headless cms so one of the biggest benefits that a lot of people cite when they're when they're looking at moving to headless is performance and speed um so i mentioned before that the back end and the front end in a headless site aren't linked and that means there's less resources that are used when loading pages so things tend to move a lot more quickly if you're using static site generation which is essentially where sites are, are built at a specific time so everything is rendered and built and then served to a user they're even faster because everything's already there. Everything's been been rendered in, so that's one of the biggest things that you tend to find that people that the people cite as a, as a benefit when they're moving to headless is, is that big improvement in in speed and performance. Interesting, and I covered this in my Brighton SEO talk that the visual perception of when you load a headless site a lot of the time is that they're really really fast if they've been built correctly. However, I still see them failing things like Web Vitals um, tests and and the page experience and things like that. So. 
to a user, things can look really, really fast. But then when you actually hit them with with some tools and things like that, they they actually don't pass certain um, elements of, like I said, things like Core Web Vitals. But yet yeah, speed and and that sort of thing is is usually a big draw for them. So is that Core Web Vital test kind of more down to how it's built by the developers themselves when it's actually being implemented, rather than the you know the specific CMS you choose? It's more about the the team that's building it, right? Yeah, 100%. So um, that's all to do with the front end usually. And what you'll tend to find is because the front end is built in a JavaScript framework, so like I said, uh, React or Angular or Vue, Nux, Next, whatever you use, there's just one big old piece of JavaScript that gets served to a browser or to, to a client when, when you're trying to access a page that then needs to be rendered. What can happen is that all tries to load at once, for example. So that's one of the pitfalls with it is that it just will try and load this huge script and that can cause a bit of an issue with web vitals assessments, things like LCP and, and that sort of stuff. There are ways around that. But yeah, it's just it's something that I, I highlighted in my talk is that there's there's definitely a misconception that they, they're just going to pass these web vitals tests altogether. Actually, they just change the things that you've got to optimize and they make it a little bit more niche um, in the way that you've got to deliver content. Interesting. So do you think that like what we were just saying to now, does it particularly matter which peddler CMS you get? I, I kind of intended there that it doesn't particularly matter, but from your experience, do you think it matters much which which option you go for in the grand scheme of things? I personally, I don't think so. Um, I think it's just the same as choosing a CMS um, when when you're not using a, a headless one. So if you're an e-com site, you want to make sure you've got an e-com-led CMS. If you're more <laughs> content, you want more content-led CMS. Um, so it's just picking one that suits your goal and then you know one that your organization can adopt easily as well. So one thing that I, you could consider is that there's there's um, this headless specific CMSs like Cockpit that you've mentioned, or Storyblock is um, a really popular content-led one. Contentful is and, and Netlify, though those two are really really popular as well. But they're really headless focused. You can actually use CMSs that are more traditional in a headless manner. So things like WordPress are actually available in in a headless manner. So you can package up content and send it through an API from WordPress. So if you are thinking about transitioning to a headless CMS and you've got a an organization that is really used to using WordPress or Magento, because Magento's got an API call as well, they, you can actually use those CMSs in a headless manner, which means that actually for your users, nothing changes. They, they input content as they've always done, and they don't need to learn a new CMS, don't need to find out where everything is. Everything is very still very native to them. It's just the way it's built on the front end that, that changes quite significantly. So that that would be a consideration, I guess, if you're if you're thinking of moving to one. Do you think it's worth having that as kind of a transitional period? Or do you think it is easier in some cases to just make the jump from traditional straight to say you're like you said, you you've been working on a WordPress site for five years and it's time to make the, the big move, time to migrate to a new thing and like, oh let's just chop the head off the WordPress and and see how we go from there or do you think it's worth jumping straight to headless and kind of you know diving in the deep end for want of a better phrase interesting question actually i think i guess it's personal preference almost all yeah 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 i think because i mean i love some of the, the headless cms's that are out there and they're, they're obviously natively headless so they are built for it whereas you use something like wordpress or magento and it's it will work and it will probably work to it'll probably work well but also it's not going to be ever going to be as native as the ones that have been built specifically to serve headless content. Um, but then there's some that are, some headless CMSs that are really hard to navigate through um, and they can take a bit of getting used to. So it's if you are going to make that transition over, then you just want to make sure you've got the full training for people. So um, like I said, Contentful is is one of the ones that I, I found really easy to pick up and it's kind of like a logical format. Storyblock is the same, but there are some out there that are just a bit 
yeah tricky sometimes because even even like netlify you can create custom cns's inside that and they can come in all shapes and sizes so uh yeah it's it's definitely one to, to consider is that trading aspect are there any other disadvantages to the kind of hybrid approach you can think of advantages or disadvantages for that matter yeah when it comes to sort of the, the disadvantages of it one thing that i have noticed from working on a, on a hybrid e- e-commerce and content-led um cms is that they're both separate obviously you're sending data from um, an e-com um, part of the cms and a content part of the cms to a front end but they both sit separately as their own separate entities it can get a bit confusing when you're trying to manage them so as an example on an e-com side that i work on we control product pages through one cms and therefore sort of the listing pages or the majority of listing pages and then the rest of the site is controlled through a different cms so you've got to switch between the two as you're working mm-hmm. it can get a bit confusing particularly because there's functionality that's available in one that isn't available in the other you suddenly start using the wrong markup or something like that and it yeah. gets horribly wrong <laughs> yeah and it, it, it does get a bit messy um but i guess the the other thing with with those two as well is it's just that the fact that they're just they, some things just don't talk to each other with there either. So, like for example, we've got a search function on this e-commerce site that I work on. The search function only pulls out product-led data, so you can search for products, but you can't search for content. So the search function just inherently won't won't pick right, up something yeah. from one side. So it, it's built in from one of the CMSs. So when you're considering that sort of stuff, you've just got to have that in the back of your mind that you've got to get people used to two different CMSs. So if you are again, if you are moving from traditional. If you're trying to get people to learn one CMS, it's it's difficult. Trying to get them to learn two new CMSs is is a little bit more tricky. <laughs> so we've touched on flexibility, adaptability, performance bonuses, all that kind of stuff. I think that leads us quite nicely into our other topic. We're kind of kind of weave the two together here, listeners. So b- b- please do bear with us. It's a bit more philosophical, a bit less technical, but something you've also spoken at Brighton SEO earlier this year: stoicism and bringing that to digital marketing and SEO in general. So I guess as an intro to stoicism, before we get into the details, what is stoicism for the listeners who don't know? Yeah, so um, stoicism, as you said, is a, is a topic I spoke about uh, at Brian SEO. So like, like I said, completely on the opposite end of the scale to, um, <laughs> to headless. We're, uh, we're going to try and connect them, listeners. We're going to try our best. <laughs> um, yeah, like, like the uh, the flexibility segue, that was perfect. Professional podcast, the ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so it, it's an ancient um, philosophical movement. Uh, so it was sort of from, from ancient Greece, founded in, in sort of the third century, uh, or third century BC, should I say. Um, so it's essentially a, a way of trying to live a, um, a logical and ethical life, um, how, and, and how that can actually impact, um, other elements of, of your life. So there's like, there's, there's, there's Wikipedia kind of descriptions you can get of it. They're really long winded and, and they're a bit <laughs> obscure, but I, I actually use a, a resource called the daily stoic, which is an easy way to get into this topic. If you ever, ever thinking about, um, branching into stoicism. Um, which just gives you like little snippets of, of Stoic teachings and you can understand, you can get a bit of um, narrative on them, a bit of commentary. But what the, the way they describe it, it's pretty perfect. So I can actually read this word for word. So it's a philosophy designed to make us more resilient, happier, more virtuous, and more wise. And as a result, better people, better parents, and better professionals. Um, so it's it's a it's a system that allows you to just manage yourself a little bit better. So it, it focuses on self-management, self-development, and then almost just focus as well. I think that does definitely, I know we're going to we're gonna try and, like I said, pull on threads and try and connect everything here, but that definitely does connect through to, I think, 
people kind of come at like digital marketing and, and I, we touched on it when I talked to Tom Critchlow, when I've talked to Claire Carlisle previously in this season, thinking about how you kind of bring non-traditional thinking to digital marketing and and I keep using the really cheesy phrase of like undigital your marketing which I I hate myself but I don't know how else to express it <laughs> bringing kind of like you said like ancient philosophy into SEO and and PPC and digital marketing is like a, an incredibly modern industry that's only been around for a couple of decades really and something that was around <laughs> two and a half thousand years ago it's it's a I think it's a brilliant idea to bring the two together and I think kind of talking about the the modernity of it all as well. I think there's a lot of misconceptions around that term being a stoic or stoicism as well. You think of it as kind of like the dour-faced people who don't laugh at anything and they're kind of like, oh, you just, you know, you bottle it all down and you don't react to anything, right? That's that's what a stoic is, but that's a pretty common misconception, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, that it's a common, um, it's a bugbear of mine a little bit, um, obviously having read up quite a lot on on the subject. You're a um, stoic, but you're smiling, Alex. What's going on? <laughs> so that, that, yeah, I get that quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, the di- dictionary definition of stoic is is still correct in its own right. So that does describe someone who is quite quite stony faced and, and deals with emotion in a very different way to a lot of people. Stoicism is very different to that, and and I think it's it's important to make that that distinction between the two, because what stoicism actually is 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 a way of being able to process things a little bit better and it's rather than you know not react to something you are reacting to, to things but you're choosing how you react to them you're you're putting mm-hmm. things through react i see the i see the point <laughs> you're making there we talked about react five minutes ago we're talking about reacting right now that's so all coming it's all coming full circle that was completely intentional <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah the, the, i guess the, the, the difference between you know the, the un, uncaring and feeling dictionary definition of it and, and the main stoic movement or stoicism as, as a philosophy it's like i said that you're applying what happens to you what happens around you to or you're applying your own filters um to what happens around you so you're processing things a different way it's not that you're not processing them it's that you you understand how to to react to things or you you have complete control over how you react to everything going around you and i think that's one of the best best descriptions of stoicism actually is that it's just a way to to control your own reactions to things it sounds like you're describing a headless cms to me mate that's (laughs) exactly the same thing exactly and i think having that extra control and being able to bring that to both your professional life and your personal life and all that kind of stuff is very important you know obviously we're still in the pandemic as much as we don't want to be COVID-19 is still a thing at the time of recording. <sighs> I hate to say it, but yeah, I think it's been particularly difficult over the last couple of years for, you know, thankfully a lot of us have been able to, you know, work in the digital industry and, and be able to work from home and stuff like that. But there's been a lot of a lot of bad news happening over the last couple of years. And I think bringing something like that can really help a lot of people. So I think it's a it's a great message to kind of bring to the table in terms of thinking about your professional career and how you can apply some of those things and, and and bring it to career progression and and dealing with difficult times at work and things like that. I know there's a um a quote I've always thought about where um particularly like who you're hanging around with and all that kind of stuff and, and your workmates and how if you work with ambitious people you become more ambitious. It's that uh, if you live with a lame man you will learn to limp. Is the the quote that it's kind of the you know, if you're if you're unhappy in your job and you're working with people who you don't, you know, vibe with, whether that's ethically or politically or philosophically or whatever it is, you're not feeling enthused about your job, 
you're going to do a worse job at your job. <laughs> you're going to have a bad time professionally. Uh, uh, do, do you agree there, Alex? You, you, I can see you nodding away, but obviously the listeners can't. <laughs> Keep forgetting it's just audio. <laughs> yeah, so I, I completely agree. And I think, um, yeah, looking at something like this allows you to just take that step back and, and understand your your own feelings and, and the way that you, you process things. There's kind of a similar a similar line to, to what you've just uh, to what you've just cited, but I think Marcus Aurelius has uh, one, one of his teachings. One of the rough translation is that he um, he, he le- learned to read carefully, and not be satisfied with a rough understanding of the whole, and not to agree too quickly with those who have a lot to say about something. So almost kind of pulling back to that being a product of your own environment and not trying mm, to let external yeah. factors influence you. Yeah, I think it's it's a really powerful thing. And like you said, the last two years have been awful for a lot of people there's there's the obvious um the pandemic but there's there's so many other things over, over the course of the last two years that's caused people so much stress and a lot of it unfortunately is beyond our control it's it's stuff that we physically can't can't get a grip on um the pandemic is is something we we can't individually we, we can as a collective we can try and try and mitigate some of that we can't individually control things but we can we, we can control how we react to things we can control um how we how we deal with things on our side and, and try to make that a little bit easier and that's that's what this philosophy kind of tries to get us to do For this week's update from Systrix, we're going to expand upon some of their content features so we have the content planner which you can access if you are a Systrix user at no extra charge by clicking on the content button and the main navigation at the top In the first step, the content planner basically collects potentially interesting keywords for cluster articles related to your main topic. And in the second step, the list of potential cluster keywords is evaluated and analyzed, such as things, uh, are they far enough away from the main keywords to justify their own article? Should they be included as subheadings within the main article? All important information about the pillar article can be found in the large title in the top left, such as things like how high is the search volume? How many organic clicks are there? information even on things such as ad click prices and things like that as well and search intent which of course we know is very important these days in seo the other tiles on content planner also show suggestions for other cluster articles so these keywords are thematically far enough away from that main topic to justify their own article but are nevertheless related to the overall cluster in terms of content so you can find all the relevant information for evaluating your keywords in the content planner And as I said, the content planner can now be used as a complementary component of the content tool suite in Systrix for no extra charge. I'll put links in the show notes for all of that. If you are a Systrix user, you already have access to this. If you're interested in trying it, there is a free trial available and you can go and check that out at the links in the show notes. And in fact, I will actually be talking about topic clusters a lot next week with my very special guest, Andy Chadwick. So stay tuned for that episode next week as well if you want to learn more about topic clusters. Well, let's transition back into headless CMS and talk about some of the difficulties there as well then. Thinking about whether we're, you know, transitioning from a traditional CMS to a headless CMS or going straight in with a headless CMS from the start, what are the kind of common difficulties you think some people might run into with their sites? So if if you're moving straight over to a headless CMS and you're getting a new getting a new site built, um, there's there's quite a few things actually that people take for granted in your current out of the box CMSs that headless actually doesn't give to you on default. Um, and if you're working with developers who are pure developers and they've not had enough as much exposure to SEO, um, actually I'm, I'm quite I'm quite a, I, I've met quite a lot of developers over the last few years who are really SEO focused. Um, but I know there's there's still those that, that just work in in very specific development spaces. Um, but 
if they haven't had access to a lot of SEO resources, then they won't build things in by default. So for example, um, if you were to use some of the frameworks, uh, Angular is one that I would probably cite for this. They, they don't render, um, or they're, they're all client side rendering, um, out of the box. So everything, everything renders in the browser, which we know, um, officially apparently isn't an issue for, for, for search engines because mm -hmm. they can pass, they can execute, they can, um, they can understand content that's client side rendered. But if, if you're, um, if you want to optimize your site, you probably want to server side to render it. Um, so things like Angular don't actually do that out of the box. So you have to make sure to start off as a fundamental that your site is using something like server-side rendering or static site generation. Um, so that's one thing. And then we've got things like uh, meta meta tags and stuff that we take for granted. We'll use something like if you use a WordPress, we'll use Yoast or Rank Map or something like that to implement them. They actually don't exist in in a lot of headless builds. So you have to make sure that they're actually being built in. There's ways to do that. And it kind of differs across a few different frameworks as to how you do that. Um, but yeah, things like titles, descriptions, canonicals, all that kind of thing doesn't actually come by default. So when you are planning a build for, for a headless site, think about the rendering of it first, but then also think about the things that you might take for granted, like titles and descriptions and that sort of stuff. And then I mentioned that uh, when you create content in a CMS, it sends data to an API, which sends that to the front end. That actually means that they don't create proper URLs um, by default either. So all the URLs are, are dynamic that are being sent from um, the CMS to, to the, the front end. So one thing your developers have to do is, is create actual static URLs for the pages to make sure that, make sure they're actually being, um, indexed correctly or crawled correctly. Um, and then there's, there's loads of other little things it, it, and there's nuances. So, um, if you use a JavaScript heavy framework, then you can easily slip into the, the habit of adding JavaScript links instead of actual ah, hrefs. We've all seen that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the dreaded on-click. I'm pretty sure I've seen yeah. a post about it today or yesterday. Um, yeah, I, I was reading what I was linked on Twitter the other day. I think it was early this week. Yeah, yeah. So it, and it, it's an easy thing to do. So seeing things like on-click events to to link through to different pages, they, that can be pretty easy to do when you're in the mindset of, I'm creating a JavaScript framework, and this is exactly you know how how you link through JavaScript. So I'll do that for everything, and yeah, you, you tend to lose a bit of crawlability there. Um, and then uh, another thing, like more of a less of an SEO um, issue, more of a, a team issue. Uh, but a lot of headless CMSs don't support previews either. So in WordPress, for example, you can preview a page, and then you know you can do that in various other CMSs as well. You can't do that headless by default. So there are some some headless CMSs that do have the function there. Um, so Sitecore is one actually that I know of that has a, a built-in preview function, which is quite rare. But then also, if a CMS, a headless CMS supports drafts as part of as part of their overall process, developers can actually use that to create uh, a preview function. It's not necessarily a an actual preview function, but it's it's close enough to to be able to, to preview content. Now, that like I said, it, it's a user thing. So it, users want that when they're editing content, they want to be able to preview something before it goes live particularly if you are using something like static site generation. So if your site rebuilds at, let's say, 8 a.m. and 3 p.m., and you change a piece of content at just after 3 p.m., you can't preview it, and the site isn't going to rebuild until 8 a.m. the next day. So you can't actually see if that's okay, if that's worked, or if you've <laughs> completely broken something. So you are quite literally, and I've been in this situation, just sitting there nervously waiting for a build to be able to... Uh, yeah, did to be did you get any some... sleep that night? Very little. <laughs> um, luckily if you if you do run something like a static site and you do get something horrifically wrong you can typically force a rebuild um but it's just making sure that if you're if you're even semi sure that something might have gone wrong 
just let a developer know so they can be on hand to rebuild the site really quickly <laughs> or roll something back and rebuild it because yeah it does happen always wise to have a especially when you're yeah like you said building stuff on the site always mm. wise to have a developer on standby just in case to to fix any problems us uh us lowly mortal seos make <laughs> I, I still do it on, on any site to be honest I, i've always got a developer on hand i'm like this shouldn't break but in the case that it does can can you just help me <laughs> we, we were literally having that conversation in the studio the other day we had some uh some time with one of one of our clients developers had some time available from their kind of retainer and they were like do you want to use this for anything i was like keep hold of that because we're making these big changes and we might need them to fix the things that will be broken <laughs> in two weeks time so yeah definitely always wise to have a backup plan have developers at least looped into the plan and be like by the way there is going to be a change whether you're in-house or whether you're agency side or anything like that if you are making big changes if there are especially when it comes to headless stuff and you're rebuilding sites definitely worth keeping the some of the development team not necessarily on standby we're not expecting them to be on call like at three o'clock in the morning but <laughs> make at least make them aware and, and loop them in <laughs> yeah 100 percent and speaking of looping things in, I'm going to try and transition back. Here goes <laughs> here goes my segue once again. We're going to talk about the kind of key principles. We talk about the building blocks of having developers help building our sites and all that kind of stuff. Let's talk about the building blocks of Stoicism. There are kind of, from what I understand, there are four key principles that kind of govern the whole thing in a very kind of wide sense, right? Yeah, yeah. So you you can split definitely split it up into those into those four principles. So uh, the first up is is courage. Um, so the Stoics encourage people to have the courage to take on difficult challenges and circumstances and not shy away from adversity, because actually they believe that tackling that adversity and those challenges head on give you the the chance to to change, to develop, to get a greater understanding of the world and and, and yeah, continue as as your development as a person. There's there's also one called temperance, which is quite nice to follow on from courage. So temperance actually gives you almost a way to measure um, other virtues or to understand how much of each virtue to to use at any given time. So for example, having the courage to go against adversity and to accept those challenges and to push through them is absolutely brilliant. However, if you don't if you have too much courage, you can get a bit reckless, you can make some <laughs> like, rash decisions. So it kind of measures those and bring and gives you an idea as to to, to what to do um, or to what extent. Uh, the next one is justice and this is the real simple one that I just love and it's just just about doing the right thing so it's nothing to do with like laws or anything like that it's just doing the right thing by anyone you come into contact with so yes you especially, can do that. especially your developers especially your developers treat your developers right seos yep ne <laughs> never get into arguments with your developers um you're always <laughs> going to rely on them at some point so <laughs> yeah but um yeah so justice is about do doing the right thing and just having that moral code almost um and then the last one is wisdom and it kind of just guides everything else it, it brings everything else together so it it, rely, it relies on things like calculation and thoughtfulness, um, and it basically allows you to, to to understand when when to act with courage or when how much courage to use or, or when temperance is going to have to play a part. Um, and then it it just governs everything else and packages it up quite nicely and gives you, yeah, just just a way of thinking basically. Nice. Well, I know you mentioned the Daily Stoic earlier. Um, I, I especially like uh, what Ryan does on YouTube as well. Uh, the host Ryan Holiday on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Going to go. Well, I will put links for all of this, by the way, in the show notes. If you want to go and check them out, dear listeners, at search.withcanda.co.uk, you can find all the links for all of pretty much everything we're discussing, all the CMS stuff, all the Stoicism stuff, and links to all of Alex's stuff as well, as you can imagine. And yeah, I really like the kind of 
little digestible things that you get. You kind of get these five to 10 minute videos on YouTube and similar with the newsletter as well. You get this nice little kind of daily pointers from just easier ways to, yeah, I think, I think you can really get stuck in like, oh, I'm going to buy a book on stoicism or, or even a book. If you're looking to progress your professional career, I'm going to buy a book on SEO. I'm going to go, I want to learn more JavaScript. I'm going to buy a JavaScript book or subscribe to a JavaScript course, whatever it is having those little digestible things, I know certainly helps me digest stuff. I'm very much a kind of, I need a to-do list. I need a task list kind of person. So being able to kind of tick the thing off for the day is always beneficial to me. Do you you find a similar kind of thing for you when you have that kind of daily stoic stuff and and even in your professional life as well, having that kind of structure, being able to kind of compartmentalize things into smaller chunks and then being able to achieve them from there? Yeah, hundred percent. I think I it, when when it comes to to the day the daily stoic stuff. Yeah, you, like you mentioned, he, he come, Ryan comes up with a lot of snippets and things like that on different uh, different mediums. There's the, the the actual book, the daily stoic, is a really good one because it's one teach in a day, and what he encourages you to do is, is literally just read that one and then try and reflect on that throughout the day. Which I think is a really powerful thing to do is just try and keep it really short and focused and and just try and think about things as you move through the day. Um, and and yeah, they're, they're similar. Like that, I guess it's kind of similar to where I would read now. Um, after having exposure to that, or how I would learn is, I tend to like if it's a book, I'll just read one chapter. Um, so I'll just read one chapter and then and then reflect on that through, throughout the uh, the day. Um, when it comes to professional development and, and personal development and learning, um, I kind of do a similar thing. I try to focus on one thing at a time and then just allow myself time to digest that. I know. You know, a lot of a lot of agencies, including the one that we including including Clicky, um, we have like a day's worth of training time every month that we that we give to people um, to work on whatever is in their PD plan. But I tend to split mine into like really small bite-sized chunks, just so I, because I, if I spend eight eight hours or a full day just actually trying to learn something, about twenty percent of it might stick. <laughs> So yeah, I think it, it's all about just taking things like you said in those bite-sized chunks, working on some one thing in particular, or, or reading one thing in particular, and giving yourself the time and breathing room to to understand that to the fullest as well. So has that like your virtues in stoicism have they influenced your managerial style and you, your role as a director at Clicky as well? And do you think that has kind of benefited you helping your team, like you said, with whether that's with training or whether that's with you know like appraisal processes or helping people to get through difficult times say they've had a bad call with a client or they've got a client who's leaving for whatever reason or something they've pressed the wrong button and they've rebuilt a website and it's all gone horribly wrong uh have you found that that's been useful for you as you know in a more senior role in the company yeah definitely so for me i guess that the one big thing is is that control what you can control um angle from stoicism um so understanding that certain things are just going to happen and you literally you can't do anything about them that's just a, a fact of the matter like google so, updates yeah yeah, that that's a, a cause of stress for a lot of people. Um, that's kind of that a lot of a lot of times I've been described as the you know the meme of the dog in the fire that this is fine. And this is fine, yeah. Yeah, that's that's. I feel like that's a modern day example of stoicism. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's it, it's helped me to just take a step back from things. So some obviously dealing with change management in in a large company or an organization, you there's there's a lot of things that that can affect you. You just got to understand that you can step back from those and. and change how you react to things particularly when you are leading a team when you're in management if 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 your manager is panicking about something or if they're stressing or if they're giving off some really aggressive or angry vibes because something's not going the right way it it affects the team massively so when it when it comes to my management style i'm always quite i try and keep quite calm on the surface and then just try and process things and 
and just like measure my reaction almost. And it, it helps when I'm uh, talking to a lot of the team as well, because you tend to find out, I'm not sure whether it's you know a symptom of, of the industry itself, whether this happens across a lot of industries, but a lot of the people I work with tend to put a lot of pressure on themselves. And I, I feel like that's that just is, is counterintuitive. So one of those things that stoicism or, or learning the principles of stoicism, stoicism has allowed me to do is get people to just take that step back to breathe to understand that you don't have to put all that pressure on and you tend to get like a better a better environment as well for, for doing it you tend to find that people just a bit more relaxed they do better work they enjoy things more and and yeah it's just that that's how it's helped my management style in in the main really yeah i think it's a lot of and there is a lot of pressure that there is especially with the kind of job market we're seeing at the moment so many people are wanting to move into more digital roles going moving away from traditional media sorry traditional media people if you are listening your industry is dying it's not my fault i'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news but a lot of people throughout the pandemic and stuff obviously shopping has moved online in so many ways and even outside of the pandemic over the last couple of years that's the way the world has been going more and more people are shopping online and doing business online and all you know communicating online recording podcasts online virtually like we are now for example and i think it's really interesting to bring like we said two and a half thousand year old philosophy to a very kind of digital mindset and actually be able to combine the two in a functional useful way in 2022 it feels like a weird thing to say <laughs> and the, the the great thing is well you tend to find that when you actually look at the principles of stoicism and a lot of the teachings they've been reused and rehashed by loads of like um business coaches and um sort of mindset oh, of, coaches of course yeah yeah i mean the, the one example that i think i used at brian s was from stephen covey so he wrote uh, the seven habits of highly effective people which is absolutely fantastic it's a brilliant book but one of his habits is start with the end in mind and uh, there's actually a teaching um from from stoicism which is um let your efforts be directed to something let it keep that end in view um and it's pretty much the same thing so it's it's very very similar, and you tend to see these things are reused and rehashed and recycled. I know a lot of people will say there's no original ideas anymore. Um, kind, <laughs> hey, hey, kind of these ideas are over two thousand years old. They're pretty original. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's just you, you tend to see it filtered in through that. So if you actually do t- try to look into stoicism, you'll probably start to connect a lot of the dots between things that you might have read over the last couple of years and and these teachings that have been around for thousands of years. Um, and it, it shows how useful they are, no matter what your circumstance or what you're trying to apply them to. You can apply them to yeah, so many different things. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Um, whether that's building a new website or migrating to a new website, having an idea of what you're aiming for at the end of that project is a, a great way to start that project. I know that's especially true in content from my background in content and, and writing and things like that. I know when I go into a new writing project or into a content piece or even into a brief or in the early stages there, you have an idea of what is the deliverable for this going to be? What is the output of this going to be? And how am I going to get there through this process? Apply Applying that to that, even you know granular things like, oh, I've got to produce four content briefs for this client this month. They want one every week. Where am I, where am I even going to start? It's like, think about what it's actually going to look like, how it's going to finally be produced, you know, think about all the elements that are going to be there at the end and how you can get there from where you are now. I think having that end goal in mind, I know a lot of professional writing friends of mine who are comic book writers and novelists and all that kind of stuff have given me loads of advice over the years that has been, if a character is going to die, you need to know that from page one. <laughs> if if somebody's getting married, you need to know that from page one. Because 
that will influence their journey. If you suddenly kill a character, uh, Game of Thrones season eight, hello, <laughs> spoiler alert for the end of Game of Thrones. If you, ha- if you, I, I, funny enough, there's a quote from George R. R. Martin that is talking about his journey through Game of Thrones, and it is, if you've been telling the audience the butler did it for a decade, the butler probably did it. <laughs> so ha- having having an idea and and following through with that plan and following through with that journey you don't need to suddenly go off in a different direction and do something just to try something different and try something new. Sometimes having that clear call from the start, still be flexible, don't get me wrong, still be adaptable, but having an idea of where you're going to be, I think is a really, really useful guide on a macro scale and on a micro scale as well, for sure. Yeah, 100%. And, and like, if you think of it from a business perspective as well, so if you're thinking from like my position is, we've got a goal as a company to get to X point. And yes, exactly. We, we just need to make sure everything we do keeps moving towards that. Um, and then you can apply it to client workflows as well. The, the amount of, of, and I've done this many times, I've put together a strategy for a client and then I've, I've sat back and looked at it and thought, well, that, that's where they want to get to. And I probably don't need to do what I've put in for like three months worth of stuff. So you end up rewriting <laughs> everything. But it's always useful to just go, is, is that actually going to help or am I doing it just because I kind of like doing it? And I think us as SEOs, and I'll totally hold my hand up and say I've been guilty of this in the past as well, thinking about what the client's goals are, or if you're in-house, what are the shareholders' goals or the director's goals and the company as a whole, and thinking about, is this a you know a revenue-driven thing? Is this a visibility-driven thing? Is this Are you looking to kind of grow brand awareness and things like that? Having that clear goal in mind of when you, you know, first, if you're an agency, first did the proposal with a client and say, okay, we want to. We want our organic traffic to contribute this certain amount of revenue by the end of next year. Whatever, have that in mind every time you're working on a piece of content. Have that in mind when you're doing your six month review or your monthly reporting call or whatever it ends up being, and have that like, well, this is why we've done this, and this is how it contributes towards that goal. I think has been so key for me, kind of you know, growing in my career and, and understanding bigger picture stuff and strategy stuff on a long and longer term rather than just i will write a blog post because writing blog posts are good <laughs> yeah yeah i couldn't couldn't agree more yeah it's it's one of the i mean and, and just to kind of i'm going to segue a little bit but like when you think about those those goals and things like that as well if you are like reporting to certain people trying to understand what those en- ends are for certain people so for example you might have a, a marketing manager that's got kpis or objectives and that's their their, their sort of end goal they're working towards but they will feed upwards into the company. So you might have, um, yeah, for example, website performance for um, a marketing manager or an e-com manager. And then as you get up the rungs, you actually speak to the MD who's who's actually measuring the percentage that online revenue generates as a percentage of, of the overall revenue of the company and growing that percentage. And it's like understanding those goals as you're talking to different people in, in the organization as well as I always find a really useful thing. Yeah, definitely. I touched on a lot with Tom Critchlow about that, talking about the kind of different communication skills you have to have with people who are higher up in companies, whether you're, you know, if you're working in an agency, whoever your contact person is, where do they sit in that company structure? I, like you said, are you talking to the marketing manager? Are you going straight to a marketing director or a managing director? Or are you working with the content writer who has been there for two weeks and, you know, they haven't got much sway, but they know what they want to achieve? Having different communication styles, understanding what their goals are, and then the wider terms of not only your project but the business as a whole you're totally right alex thinking about how oh the managing director says we want to grow the percentage of our online revenue like 
I didn't even realize they had non-online revenue. What does that mean? Like you, you kind of can forget the bigger picture and realize like, oh yeah, they have, you know, shops on the high street. I didn't even think about their shops on the high street and how that can be affected by it as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just something, it's easy to, to do when you get caught up in the nitty gritty as well, isn't it? And, and yeah, Tom, Tom's stuff is absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. Just as a side note, uh, his SEO MBA is, oh. is fantastic. I, I will always recommend Tom's SEO MBA. Like I said, links for that episode and links for the SEO MBA in the show notes as always, dear listeners. So that is a lot of stuff to think about, whether that's headless CMS stuff, whether that's stoicism. I hope you've taken a lot away, listeners, from Alex being here and joining me this week. If the listeners would like to follow up with any questions for you, whether that's headless CMSs or stoicism or anything in general, how can they follow up with you, Alex? Yeah, so um, I'm pretty active on Twitter. So uh, my handle on Twitter is, is righty with two underscores. Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, so yeah, again, pretty active on LinkedIn. So you just search my name, Alex Wright. You should be able to to see it. Um, I'd hope anyway. But yeah, please, please do get in touch because yeah, I think there's there's loads more to to discuss on my headless and, and stoicism. And um, yeah, if if you've got any questions, I'd I'd love to chat to you. But yeah, if you've uh, if, if if you if you do um if you do come and ask me some questions, I'd be prepared to have you here talked off. Um, fair <laughs> warning in advance. But yeah. We have scratched the surface, listeners. So if you are, if you have been interested in anything, please do contact Alex. And if you have any questions, please do ping them our way. I'm sure we will have you back on later on sometime in the future, Alex, to discuss more things, both stoicism, headless CMS, and maybe something else in the future as well. Sounds perfect. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. That's all we have time for this week. Thank you again to Alex for joining me and thank you, dear listener, for listening. I'll be back next week with another fantastic guest, the co-founder of Keyword Insights, Andy Chadwick. So stay tuned for that next Monday. And until then, I hope you have a brilliant week.